Toe. Thanks. Thanks. Leopards. Yes. Hundreds. Release the leopards. Ten of them. Why aren't there? Fourteen. Huh? Fourteen, right? Fourteen tanks? Are you joking me? <laughs> no, I'm getting confused. Fourteen Challenger tanks have been promised by... What we do? Fourteen tanks. By Blighty. Yeah, there's an awful lot of talk about tanks. Obviously, we're talking about Ukraine here and uh, our recent, uh, in the past week or so, at least publicly, uh, a bit of a hysteria about get tanks to Ukraine right now. Everybody. Uh, except for America. Because, you know, we only sell tanks to people for war. We don't really send them to... We want you to use your tanks, then you can buy our tanks, basically. So, Germany, you got all those leopard tanks. They're not doing anything. And we've got some shiny new ones that we can sell you as a replacement. So, why don't you use them up in Ukraine there? And Germany's like, oh, you know, Berlin Wall. Well, even going back further, First World War, Second World War... Didn't go well for us, kind of Russia, who, uh, you know, and then Berlin Wall, you know, country split. Uh, yeah, and if we send a load of tanks, like a lot of tanks, hundreds of tanks, German tanks, that would be like German tanks fighting Russian tanks. I mean, that looks an awful lot like World War One and Two again. I mean, just don't like it. I'm sorry, Mark, don't like it. I'm like, shut up and send the tanks now. What are you? Well, the the British are clear what he is. Telegraph this week described him as a gutless coward. Oh, there you go. Um, it's very gutless. clear to them. Again, pushing Germany into the war with Russia. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's history repeats, and the the pressure is insane, though. It's. Um, well, well what of all the campaigns in the last year, right now the pressure against Germany is mm. is at max. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's. A, a rare piece of, uh, on on this topic, a rare piece of um, objective, reasonable news from CNN, of all places, talking about the Ukraine war. And I was like, holy shit, what's going on? They're actually making sense. Uh, we just throw that one up there. Um, we want to go down to, uh, down to, um, anyway, if you just scroll slowly through it, you'll see. They, they diss they diss uh, German t- uh, Russian tanks T seventy twos and say yeah leopards would be far better. They need to send leopards. Why aren't Germany sending leopards? Uh, Leopard two is a modern, well protected main battle tank with good sensors. Said some uh, 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 American dude. And um, but if you just scroll down there, <laughs> where is this funny funny um, funny comment? It's actually it's after the picture of the T seventy two. It was just below that. After after that, I think. Um, it's not there. Maybe it's um, the Americans yeah. explaining why they won't be giving them the Abrams. Yeah. Well, you see, they're powerful but difficult to maintain. Yes. Also, it's expensive. <laughs> We're not just giving it away, but you, Germany, go ahead. Yeah. Um, what was it? Was now I'm looking for something particular. Maybe they moved it. Anyway. Um, uh, 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 maybe, maybe I got it from somewhere else. Let me see. Hang on. Uh, Brutal Spring Offensive. What's the title of that article? 
The Russian offensive looming. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, maybe I'll just tell you what it was. It was basically. I can't find it now. Um. It was basically um in in a in a CNN article, the guy saying, talking about because uh, in the article they talked about um. They talked about uh, Germany's history with NATO and how much they'd, um, you know, Germany's lackluster involvement with NATO, basically, um, at least in terms of paying its dues. And Trump complained about that. All these other countries not paying well, their yeah, dues, et cetera, et cetera. It's specifically pacifist in its post-war constitution. Right. That was, that was a requirement of freaking Nuremberg. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, Germany's a bitch, you know, too peaceful. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why we decided that yeah two world wars <laughs> yeah yeah but that doesn't matter to america right so um but this guy basically said that uh you know german defense uh has really been um german defense um uh, uh budgets basically Oh, um, no. over the past x number of years has and he said specifically it has been a, it's really been a gift to our allies because it made them happy, i.e., yeah, Germany's not. We're not really. We haven't been. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a warlike country. Let's say, or we haven't been on a war footing. We haven't been. Uh, we haven't really cared or bothered much about our about our defense industry. You know, uh, because well, the unwritten, unspoken agreement was uh, post post Second World War was that America would take care of international kind of global security with its uh, ruling of the waves after Britannia ruled the waves, then America ruled the waves after World War Two and particularly after uh, fall of the, well really after World War Two. Yeah, they would uh, ensure uh, global security with its aircraft carriers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and military bases all around the world. Um, for 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 European countries and other countries, I suppose. Um, while Germany, so Germany benefits from that. Doesn't have to worry about defense spending, all that kind of stuff, uh, or building up its military. America's taking care of that, and it gets um, cheap gas and oil from Russia for its industry, and cheap parts from China. And then Germany, Germany rules the rules the global economy. Not rules the global economy, but it, you know, European very well industry, European yeah. European industry. Yeah. Um, so that's that's why, and, and I mean, it's, it's kind of was strange for him to uh, for for to see it in in black and white. That basically he said, "Yeah, I mean, our defense spending for quite a long time has basically been a gift to our allies, and by allies he means America, because it makes them happy. So we just spend a bunch of money on equipment, uh, you know, either some of it built, you know, German industry, and but a lot of it being bought from America." And um, and we just keep it there, and we don't really use it much. I mean, we don't use it at all, really. We do a bit of training here and there, but we've just been slacking off on the whole defense thing for a long time. And that's did he did he say long term or imply long term? Because that is basically the case. Germany has had no real military to speak of since World War Two for yeah. real reasons. But there's a more a trend that began under guess who the former defense minister of Germany was for six years. Just before this, Ursula von der Leyen. Yeah. And she slashed military budgets, like as pitiful as they were, mm-hmm. by two thirds or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, she decimated it. 
that they said was, depending on who, what article you're reading, Der Spiegel might have said that was just, just terrible, terrible. But pro, uh, Washington press was like, that was her best contribution. Before she basically, you've seen her up on stage with uh, Joe Biden. I mean, she's America's number one agent right. in Europe. And it's not a coincidence for me that she goes from that role into this, mm-hmm. for this current timeline, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's not that they're, on the one hand, it looks like they're hoisted on the petard because they've made sure Germany has limited capability, but they have some. I mean, they have industry. These leopards are a significant purchase throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. Have you seen some of the figures? Part of the reason why this isn't just a token thing, it's being shaped as a token thing. And the British got the ball rolling and they said, we're going to send 14 Challenger tanks. And you're like, 14 tanks? What the fuck is that going to do? Nothing. That's the opening act they hope to lever, to pry to, to pry leopards out of Germany's hands. Mm-hmm. And at least another step to prying it out of Germany is the fact that there are about 1,500 of these leopards among other European countries. Mm-hmm. Poland has several hundred. Greece, you may have heard about in the news this week. Russia warning Greece. No, 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 no. Uh, Germany also backed that up. Greece bought 300 or so leopards from Germany. Mm-hmm. And they're on, it's the same kind of contract as if when Russia says, you can't be sending our weapons uh, Slovakia, for example, you can't be given to Ukraine what we sold to you as mm-hmm. breach of contract. Right. So they're and Poland, Poland said they're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Are they they're threatening, threatening to, to, and they want and Washington's it. okay for it? Mm-hmm. But Washington is now putting on the pressure to get a tacit agreement from Germany to right. do it. In Germany, Just, they're holding fast to say no because they, that this is like this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I think where we go into the next phase, where Russia's um, description of this whole event since last year as a NATO proxy war against us becomes true mm. and everything else that comes with it. Mm-hmm. It means we can legitimately target your deliveries of these things, which they haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. They've hit trains with equipment on them once they reach roughly eastern Ukraine, past Kiev, past the Dnieper. But here you'd be seeing a wholesale with video footage attacks on deliveries. Well, yeah, maybe that's definitely, definitely part of it. But I think part of the problem with Germany not one, like I mentioned it in a kind of funny way at the beginning of the show there, uh, for Germany, it's, there's something, the optics in this don't look very good, you know, no. hundreds and hundreds of German manufactured, you know, tanks, uh, doing battle with Russian tanks in Eastern Europe. It's just like, uh, it's not going to look good. Germans just don't, I mean, th- th- there's all sorts of problems, you know, with, with that, with that image, you know, and especially if they get their ass handed to them, you know what I mean? As well. Just, I found it there actually, just throw it up and, and just search the word gift, uh, G-A-F-T. Um, yeah, so he says, Germany has been on a peacetime footing for years. We don't have the expertise in procedure or procurement to do anything at speed right now. The truth is that for decades, we have seen our defense budget as a gift to our allies, i.e. America, because they thought it was important. (laughs) This is the deputy director of the German Council on Foreign Relations. Right. So we have deliberately not had a military Mm -hmm. to suit post-war arrangements. And now you're piling on the pressure for us basically not only to send, but presumably to give the whole support, expertise and procedure and procurement, i.e. to keep building them. Yeah, and even before in this in the paragraph just above, experts say the reticence is partly born of Berlin's pragmatic approach to conflict in general and a relatively timid military posture going back decades, informed by what Schultz himself, that's the the chancellor, uh, 
has described as the dramatic consequence of two world wars that originated in Germany. So you, what, you don't want to start another one? I mean, the three, third time's a charm, no? Germany can go for three. Three strikes and you're out. Um, I don't know. Um, the, and the, then the, this isn't even the whole, this isn't like Washington calling Germany and, and, and then it gets into the news. The, the setup for this last week was just underscores the whole point. This began with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the top military guy in the United States, Mark Milley, going to Ramstein Air Force Base, a massive mm-hmm. American city basically within Germany that they control completely, a military city, to um, do a, a press photo op of him personally inspecting the training of oh, yeah. 500 Ukrainian troops at the American base in Germany. It was an attaboy. It was an attaboy, but then it became, the headlines were, Mark Milley gave a statement, and he specifically said that uh, he basically was calling on the German government to free the lepers. So, uh, and to give the okay for other countries like Poland and Greece to send theirs as well. So he, this is the top Pentagon guy in their, um, depending on how you look at it, their point of occupation or their, point, their garrison, their chief garrison in Europe, inside mm. Germany. I mean, the, can you imagine yeah. like that? That that was that wasn't my accident. They did that on purpose. That's set up. Well, definitely got yeah. It's it's definitely got echoes of World War Two, you know, um, and how you know it's obviously not exactly the same or or even close to it, but it's got echoes of it where um, the U.S. kind of like you know benefited greatly from World War Two, uh, contributed you know a lot of weapons and financing to European countries to destroy uh, each other, basically. Um, with Germany as a boogeyman. And I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> it's like, I think there may, I, w- I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't be surprised to, to, or if, if it, if among, in the, in the halls and in, in the deep state and <clears throat> in Washington, DC, in the establishment, uh, that, you know, they still have that atti- attitude towards Germany that, well, Germany's basically the enemy. It's still, you know, it was only 80 years ago that it was actually the enemy. So like, we gotta, gotta turn the screws in these people. You know what I mean? Um, they don't have a good uh, track record, and you know they, you know the Germany follows this pol- a policy of, of uh, pacifism. Um, you know, doesn't <clears throat> is a how do you describe it? There, um, uh, uh, partly born of Berlin's pragmatic approach to conflict in general and timid military posture, going back decades. Uh, as a dramatic consequence of two world wars that originated in Germany, uh, so it's like. Yeah, Germany has a history there of, you know, well, it was a bad guy. And now it has an opportunity to redeem itself in the eyes of the international community in the West uh, by doing what's right in Ukraine or for America and Ukraine, for American uh, global leadership, maintaining American, American global leadership by making sure that Russia is defeated in Ukraine. Here's your opportunity to redeem yourself. You bunch of Nazis. Uh, <laughs> so uh, do it. And they're like, no, no, but that's not the same. You're actually asking us to do what we did in World War One, World War Two. Not, do you know what I mean? It's, and America's just, look, just do it, Germany. Okay, just do it. It'll be fine. I promise. And if anything goes wrong, I've got your back. <laughs> oh See ya. God, they are so cut. They're in serious trouble. <clears throat> I mean, I'm, they're going to capitulate. That's my prediction. Um, They'll send them. Do you know? Do, do you know how many tanks uh, are estimated to be in that uh, uh, Russia has in reserve? Oh, it's vast, just vastly. 
They're a land army. They're vast. I mean, Ukraine at the start had almost 3,000. Yeah, they have 10,000. 10,000, yeah. 10,000 tanks. Uh, and, but what's interesting about this whole tank thing is why are they pushing for tanks now? Why, why all the excitement about tanks? Tanks are just tanks, right? I mean, what about, I mean, I'm sure they're sending more artillery and all that kind of stuff, but what's all the excitement about tanks? Um, why do we desperately need tanks right now? <clears throat> it's fairly simple. Why does Ukraine desperately need tanks? This is to do with uh, contracts for the U.S. selling. Well, that's obviously that's, that's, that's always always there. That's that's the that's the, that's where you never lose. That's where war is always good, right? For, especially for the well, for, the for, CNN first article you said uh, in the headline it said needs tanks now in preparation for spring offensive. Right, a spring offensive by Ukraine against yeah. Russian forces. No, that's that's, that, that's the twister. They're expecting a major spring offensive in the next month or so um, from by Russia, yeah. uh, which could be decisive. So we're talking about maybe, you know, they're looking at maybe uh, 150,000, well, total up to half a million uh, Russian troops available after the last mobilization and, and on different fronts, maybe certainly the one in Belarus going, possibly going south and towards, towards Kiev or towards those supply lines in the west. Another one already started yesterday in Zaporizhia in the south. They started a new offensive there, and they're already getting uh, ready to basically take Bakhmut, which cuts off um, the main road of the supply line from towards wet eastern Ukraine. So there's there's three areas there of you know the bottom south southeast, northeast, and then north central or northwest almost uh, in Belarus, and you could have like you know hundreds uh, or possibly. Maybe I won't go far to say, I say thousands, but you never know. But definitely hundreds of Russian tanks and hundreds of thousands of Russian soldiers on two, possibly three fronts uh, moving into Ukraine. Um, so, and they're, you know, they're, Russia has been over the past, particularly over the past uh, few weeks, has been, <clears throat> um, well, really over the, the past few months, but in particular over the past few weeks, I mean, um, Ukraine is having serious problems with artillery as well. Uh, Russian drones oh. and, and counter-artillery strikes have been taking out a lot of Russian or, or Ukrainian artillery systems and stuff. So that's preparing the ground. You know, you take out the artillery, you, take out, you, you wear down the artillery system, Ukrainian artillery systems and their high Mars and their, um, their other Western-supplied uh, artillery systems where those down to the point where they're not really a, a significant threat anymore and then you just you can move in largely with impunity with with tanks and infantry and other you know other um, other mobilized troops you know um, it sounds to me like they, Ukraine has no army and they need a new one well they already they already lost at least one probably two armies if you think about the the waves over the past year uh the Russian military has already defeated the Ukrainian military twice. And in the absence of, well, the, the first time they defeated them, that would have been the end of the war. They were resupplied, <clears throat> retrained, more mobilization, but ten. obviously you can, you can, yeah, you can conscript and mobilize as many as you want if you don't have the equipment to put in their hands or to, for them to fight uh, effectively, then it's, it's, it's not going anywhere. So you, um, it's obviously been Western supply of weapons that have allowed that army to be an army again. Uh, so they've gone through two iterations of that. So basically the Russians have already defeated the Ukrainian military twice. And 
they're gearing up to do it, do it for a third time. Um, and maybe this time it'll be des- decisive. Yeah. So it's cra- It's a crazy situation, really. On, on the point of uh, artillery, well, this is a broader figure. I've heard McGregor use it several times now in recent interviews. Colonel McGregor, the retired American uh, colonel, uh, he, he thinks the, the firing rate between each side is 60,000 rounds. I think that's all types of ammunition. It's not just you mm. know tank shells and artillery. from guns and artillery. So it's grosso, you know. Anything fired, 60,000 per day versus about 6,000. And I thought, well, I better check that out. Where is he getting that from? I actually found it, Kiev Post in November, citing um, a NATO official uh, estimate. Set, uh, Ukrainian side, indeed, six to 7,000 artillery rounds only, actually, per day, whereas the Russians were firing 50, 40 to 50,000 rounds per day, I presume also artillery. Yeah, so it, was, it is artillery. Oh, yeah, it's artillery it's only. Anything. And for con- what do those figures mean, right? For context, by comparison, Kiev Post writes, the United States produces only 15,000 rounds per month. Mm-hmm. They're spending, the Russians are spending 60,000 a day. A, a day. The United yeah. States doesn't have the ability to, to match that mm-hmm. alone. That's what partly why it's pulling in as much as it can from mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, this Not isn't, every day, this isn't just pushing Europe into the war to save their butts, although that's definitely a part of it. They don't have capacity. Mm-hmm. Even the great military industrial complex, apparently, mm-hmm. to keep up with this. Um, even the, the the top Ukrainian soldier, uh, Zeluzhny, he, he gave the same figure earlier as well in August. So this NATO guy wasn't just pulling it out of his rear end. He said 60,000 rounds mm-hmm. daily spent by the Russians. Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let's say this level was fired on just 300 days of the last 11 months of the war, right? That's 18 million by the Russians. Mm-hmm. No one else has the industrial capacity, never mind the stocks yeah. Yeah. to keep up with that. It probably wasn't every day. No, of course so, not. No. Uh, but still a large number. Um, yeah. The thing about thing, people, thing people have to remember about this, this kind of conflict is it's like that, I don't know who it was, was quoted as saying this, he was asked uh, somebody who used to be was a wealthy person and then a famous person who's wealthy and then uh, lost it all. And he was asked how he became bankrupt. And he said, gradually and then all at once. Um, gradually and then suddenly or something like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, how this war will, you know, really end. Yeah. Or how it, how it, has, how it has been proceeding, obviously, gradually. And then at some point it will, it will just end quite suddenly, you know. Yeah. Um, but... It's been slow and people are like, what about Kiev in three days and all that bullshit, all the propaganda that they came out with. Here's a look at just some of the uh, short video of the, some of the fortifications, the Ukrainian fortifications um, in eastern Ukraine. Uh, and again, in case people don't know, um, most of the Ukrainian military was... Um, that was built up over the past eight years since the coup in 2014, uh, built up with by, effectively by NATO countries, by the US, uh, trained, armed, funded, etc. It was, um, they, they were on the, their intent was, like we, I think we mentioned this last week, the, the contact line or the, the lines where they dug in essentially these, these troops over the past eight years and built fortifications was on the border, essentially, with uh, eastern Ukraine, with, with Donbass, which makes it very clear that their intent was to 
um, move into just those to move in there. I mean, they made it them. They made it clear, they made those statements themselves that they made. They left people in no doubt that their intent was to take back Donbass uh, after the conflict or the, you know, after the 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 DPR and the LPR declared independence in, in two thousand fourteen two thousand fifteen and Russia took Crimea. The Ukrainian the Kiev junta made it very clear over the years since then that their intent was to take those back, and then they go and they train, arm, and fund with the help of NATO, obviously. Um, Large numbers, you know, hundreds of thousands, up to five, six hundred thousand troops. With uh, was it really that many? Yeah, uh, not not all in the one line, not all there, but they had mobilized that matter. They had that. That was the number of their standing army, let's say, or, or, or that they had built up over the. Over how the eight, many eight years. NATO trainers do you need for that? Like, well, no, I mean, they were they had a regular army as well. They don't they mm. weren't brought. To, they they don't need to bring all of them to training camp. They no, just bring no, no. They had a regular had yeah. a regular military like yeah. uh, long before that. But anyway, they were, so they're on the they, they move onto the line and build these fortifications. And here's an example of the fortifications, just to give you an idea of uh, what you think of, you think it's trenches, it's a lot more than trenches. Concrete bunkers. Yeah. Yeah, these are like not trenches, they're fortified underground bunkers, uh, concrete, reinforced concrete bunkers, basically. Their beds and their heating systems and all that kind of stuff, and wood burning stoves, you know. So, I mean, you know, look, look at those doors, you know. Reinforced doors. You know um, so those kind of things aren't you see here that's not a trench you know that's an underground bunker basically and there's there's many many of those along that line and again they had eight years to uh, to develop this yeah this is probably what the Russian MOD when they do their daily briefings and they refer to a military outpost was hit mm-hmm. that talking about this or a, a, re- a local command center right um, yeah. it's de facto a structural you know a building, yeah. underground building, and there's you know there's hundreds of those, you know what I mean, and they're, they're maybe twenty kilometers deep, you know. There's multiple lines of fortifications like that are that are twenty kilometers deep in different areas, you know what I mean. So it's not something, you know, those are not just going to run in there and you know have their have end up with mass casualties, you know what I mean. They're, they're, they go very slowly, and they're obviously they're they're their main uh, focus was to uh, reduce Russian casualties, you know, um, and they realized that for these kind of fortifications, or if they didn't go carefully, and uh, they, they were going to incur a lot of casualties. So um, that's why it's been slow, let's say. I mean, it's been slow because... Well, because the U.S. set it up that way. It was set up. Uh, Ukraine was set up. The Ukrainian military was dug in into fortified positions that were no army in the world would have been able to um, quickly deal with, you know. Um, this is remember the the highway of death. Compared to the highway of death in Iraq, or the turkey shoot, or the shooting fish in a barrel type thing, as as the, mm. in the first Iraq war, and the second one really was was described, um, where you just had long lines of uh, Iraqi uh, equipment, military equipment, just driving an open desert down an open road, and you just had American planes going along, blowing them up, shouting "Yeehaw!" You know, 
I mean, yeah. people use that as a reference for this. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. People, people joined the show at the point long after America set the stage. Right. Interesting. Set the stage is a term that was used by the top Marine Corps officer in Japan last week. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe get into later to uh, describe how they are, quote, the Americans are setting the stage in Japan for a future war with China. Mm. So, yeah. Um, and Boris turned up in uh, bizarrely. Boris turned Putin, up. And Boris is just a member of parliament now. You know, he's not prime minister or anything. He's turned up in Butcher today. Um, that's obviously you want to hear. He's such a oh God. A very low quality uh, tyrants these days. You know what I mean? Low quality um, politicians and petty tyrants. Uh, here Boris just showed up, and he showed up in Kiev on his own, on his own dime. Basically, it wasn't an official visit. It wasn't private. Wasn't public. Wasn't official. Anything. Nobody knows. He just showed up. He's just an MP. You know. Uh, Riding on the wave of I used to be prime minister type thing. Um, and he was made an honorary citizen of Kiev by those two silly boxers. Uh, the Klitschko's. Just play it there and you can get a feel for the nonsense. Thank you very, very much. Well, there you go. Is it on? Yeah, thank you very, very much, Mr. Mr. Mayor. Vitali, thank you very much. Vladimir, it's a, well, that's my passport. Thank you very much. I got a passport too. Look, I just want to say what a, a huge honor this is. I first met Mr. Mayor many years ago when I was Mr. There, mayor. And he came to see me and he said, come to Kiev. And I did when I was foreign secretary. And you very kindly gave me a tour of your city, your beautiful, beautiful city. And I talked to many Ukrainians. And I realized then that if Putin was ever so mad as to invade Ukraine, that Ukrainians would fight and that they would win. And that is what is going to happen. Yes. And there is no doubt in my mind at all that Putin has made a catastrophic mistake. And the only thing that we in the Friends of Ukraine have got to do now is to continue our support for Ukraine with tanks, with planes, planes too. whatever it takes. <clears throat> Planes, trains, and automobiles. Ukraine wins, and Ukraine is once again a free, sovereign, and independent European country. European country, like it always has been. European country, like like mine. Oh well, Brexit. Well, whatever. We're still European. <sighs> yeah, Boris, Boris, Boris. That was actually in uh, Davos, where he met Klitschko, and then went on to Bucha. That. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he was hounded by a Sky News reporter, fair play to him. He pursued him in Davos saying, um, what are you doing here, Boris? Mm. <laughs> oh, no, 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 <laughs> He kept walking. What is he doing there? Didn't want to say. Yeah. Just a lowly MP, you know? Um, yeah, speaking of Davos, uh, well, anyway, that's Ukraine. Before we get on to Davos, that's Ukraine. Um, we have to wait and see, as usual. Um, but... Oh, wait, there's a few more updates from Ukraine. What about this, this helicopter that killed the interior minister's entire team? Oh, yeah. I love how that, that was breaking news, and they were starting to suggest that they'd been shot down by the Russians, and then they dropped it like, oh, potato. It's mm. gone out of the news. Mm. It was an accident officially, but you have yeah. to wonder. Well, they blame, blame Russia. Cabinet right? ministers <clears throat> have been shot in the head in that country. Interior so, minister, yeah. Uh, 
pretty high level politician, obviously interior minister. And that was the day after or a day or two after Arestovich, the, that erstwhile, uh, advisor to Zelensky, who is known for dropping, <laughs> known for sticking his foot in his mouth or dropping truth bombs, <coughs> depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, he resigned mm. because he said, that the, the in I think it was was it when was it last Monday <clears throat> that the that that, yeah. that the that the that the Russians fired another salvo of or was it, maybe it was before just that before, anyway just last before weekend. last weekend another salvo of missiles and the um the one of the in in um, in Dnipro we talked about it yeah right? we did yeah fell on the fell on the on a on because hotel, their air defense systems blocks. are in the freaking cities which right. And he basically said, yeah, it's because the thing fell down. The, the, we shot, we partly shot down the Russian missile, but, you know, both, uh, both missiles then fell to the ground and one of them fell on the apartment block and, and killed 20 people or something like that. Uh, and then he resigned because it was being presented across the media. And despite him saying that, it was presented, still presented across the media as evil Russian uh, missiles, evil Russians sent fire missiles deliberately at apartment building in order to kill a bunch of civilians. Uh, he said, nah, that's obviously not what happened. Uh, it was partly shot down and it was more or less an accident in that sense, you know. Um, and then he had to resign or he resigned and he apologized. Oh, I said the wrong thing. Uh, I shouldn't, I misspoke or I shouldn't have said that. He didn't ever said it wasn't true. He just said, uh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Um, I've since seen a clip of him um, saying that we basically lost this war. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's it. Now he says, uh, now he claims that he can, because he's a an unofficial person, um, he can reveal his two allegiance yeah, to Moscow. Yeah, here he is. No, he he can <laughs> say what he wants now, even though. But he was saying what he wanted anyway. Apparently, so it led to him to have to resign. But here's post resignation. What he's saying now. Если все думают, что мы гарантированно выиграем войну, то очень не похоже. С 14 числа уже, уже перестало быть на это похоже. Как бы, очень сильно. Как вы думаете, оценку от, от Дуды, от президента Польши, что месяц, и не только он сказал про решающие месяцы, что вообще неизвестно, выживет ли Украина, она просто так была сказана, или он на основе какой-то информации говорил об этом? Yeah, now that he's an unofficial person, he can say openly that Ukraine is going to lose. Because when he was an official person, I, he, when he was a politician and uh, an official government position, he had to lie about it. Yeah. Which is, you know, a reasonable... Uh, to keep people in the fight, to keep yeah. Ukrainians conscripted. But now he's not, he's no, you know, he's not, uh, what he says isn't, uh, or his paycheck isn't depend, depending anymore on what he, what, it, what he says. He says, yeah, uh, it's looking pretty bad for Ukraine and even the Polish uh, Prime Minister Duda said that he was just, these were decisive months and does he mean decisive in what way? I mean, it's not looking good for us and is he saying that based on some information it, he knows? It, it all looks like, there have been a few other truth summish analyses even on CNN and places. It all looks like they're starting to acknowledge well, there's two tracks, two things going on. On one hand, they seem to be acknowledging the reality that it's it's over or it's approaching the end. On the other, there's a massive drive to increase the scale and intensity of weapons that are sent to Ukraine mm -hmm. and the training in Ramstein and elsewhere. Um, what 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 do you do? You think there's a, a clear goal for the Americans here? Uh, 
Can, can you can you clear for me? Clear gold right gold. here. What's her name? Army General Laura Richardson. U.S. Army General Laura Richardson. She's actually a woman. She's not a, a transgender man. Um, here's what she has to say. Don't know why it's that big, but whatever. Adversary in the region, Russia. I mean, I've got, uh, of course, the countries, uh, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua with uh, Russia relationships, but... What I really look at, and six other countries, by the way, so a total of nine that have Russian equipment um, uh, in them, and uh, we're working to replace that Russian equipment uh, with United States equipment if those countries want to donate it to Ukraine or uh, the cause that's happening and be able to replace that with, uh, with U.S. equipment. Yeah. So I'm actually a sales representative for uh, Raytheon and Northrop, Grum- Northrop Grumman and Boeing. And I'm going around to Latin America touting how great our weapons are. And I know you've got some weapons, but it just so happens that uh, those are Soviet weapons. And Ukraine, really, the Ukrainian military only knows how to operate Soviet weapons. So if you wanted to donate or, you know, give, I'm sure you'd be reimbursed those weapons. Well, you won't be reimbursed, but if you wanted to donate those weapons to Ukraine, to the poor Ukrainian uh, freedom fighters, uh to bolster their, their fight against Russia, then we would happily replace them with shiny new American weapons. Of course, there may be some strings attached, uh, not least of which would be... We can control the weapons back through the back door. Well, there's also the fact that you would need personnel on the ground. You'd need uh, installations and that Advisors. kind of stuff for, for, uh, for repair and maintenance of these weapons. So... Um, I lo- I did, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? That, that she's talking about Cuba here. Mm. Cuba, Venezuela. Venezuela. We tried to overthrow you three years ago, but hey, it's just business. They're like aliens. Everyone else has no... She talked about relationships. Everyone has relationships where, you know, look at what happened between Turkey and Russia. 2016, you know, was a touch and go. Russia did sanctions for a while. They met a few years later and it was okay. We'll get back to talking. You know, stuff happens and things change and you barter. Americans are like, at least the American people like that, uh, establishment types, they, they'll try to overthrow you one day and the next just kind of make you an offer you can't refuse. Mm-hmm. But to the public, she'll say, like, matter-of-factly, well, it's, you've got Russian weapons, so just just give them over there and we'll give you these. It's very mafia-esque. Oh, it's crazy. It's, but said in a bland corporate speak. Mm-hmm. Just matter-of-course. Matter-of-fact, yeah. This is just the way things are, wow. yeah. Yeah, so that's why, that's what America, your question was, what's America's goal? That's America's goal. It's, it's a self-perpetuating war machine. Yeah, absolutely. That's the bottom line. That'll keep it going anyway. There may be other, there are other reasons on top of it, um, other agendas being served on top of it, but the baseline for any conflict is that war is good for business and good for the economy, uh, especially a war that you're, where you're actually only supplying uh, the military hardware, and someone else is doing the fighting and dying. Uh, that's a perfect war. And the longer you can keep that going, the better. Can you imagine, like, where you don't lose any individuals, all you do is pump weapons into it at a, at a price, at a cost, right? You're, you're selling weapons, large amount of weapons, to a country to go and fight someone that you don't like. How long do you want that to keep going? Indefinitely. Indefinitely. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll just final word, I suppose, to the Russian government. Uh, Peskov gave one brief statement about the transfer of all these tanks and whatever else. He said, if you send them, these will burn like the rest. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Those will just, you know, they're, they're German tanks anyway, right? And then they'll replace, um, replace Germans, Germany's leopard tanks with, maybe we'll replace them with our tanks. We don't know. It might be better to have Germany completely out of, out of ammo, you know? Um, uh, America's, it, I mean, what, what, what I can understand is how, unable European countries are, particularly Germany, but other European countries, to uh, realize just how much they're being screwed, screwed over by America. I mean, when you're being royally screwed, publicly screwed, and it's so obvious to everyone how you can't go, ah, Here's the this? thing. I think they do realize. This is from... But well, why aren't they doing anything about it then? Okay, well, here, question. let's have a listen uh, or read of this. So this is a minor a European country. One that will basically has a history of following whatever Big Brother Germany wants. NATO waging proxy war against Russia, Croatian president. Now, I don't think he has a a big role. I think a presidency in that country is more like a it's more like a foreign minister, the prime minister who really mm-hmm. controls the country. So he. So this person will be more free to say what he really thinks. Still, speaking about the Ukraine conflict, Zoran Milan. Milanovic said he didn't doesn't want to be quote an American slave. Mm-hmm. Um, he came straight out and said that this is NATO waging a proxy war against Moscow in Ukraine. Dismissed the sanctions as nonsense. Does not want to be an American slave. Um, he went on to say to argue that the plan cannot be to remove Putin. The plan cannot be sanctions. Such punitive measures are nonsense, and we will not achieve anything with them. Mm-hmm. Scroll up a bit there. Oh, sorry, down. They go from war to war, and why should I be an American slave? So, I mean, that's that is sentiment clearly simmering in, in Europe right mm-hmm. now, and it's just burst forth a little here. But- Similarly, like Macron said some things this week. Again, he he does from time to time. He has done this last year. Um, he seems to be still in touch with reality, saying things like, um, I won't even put it up. He said last week in an interview with El Pais, Spanish newspaper, interesting because he's in Madrid or talking to a commu- uh, political people in Madrid. I listen to what I have to say about this. He says, there will be no lasting peace if we do not contribute our part of the answer to this question. He was discussing Russia's destiny or its new role in the world. He once again warned the West against the desire to bring Moscow, quote, to its knees. Geography cannot be changed, i.e. France will still be on the same continent with Russia after mm-hmm. this is over. I mean, you have to think long term. Um, so this is eating at all European leaders right now. The other is a sub-question to follow up on what you just asked. Why don't or can't they do anything about it? I think it's to do with, we heard that American general, like the woman, I mean, they're they're aliens. These people are like, they, they, they have the goods on everybody. And I think they, they're not afraid to use them. Mm-hmm. To, um, uh, Macron also was talking about, um, yeah, he's mentioned it late last year as well. The way the world is overall splitting into two poles around whether they're 
pro-Chinese or pro-American. He was bitching about that. You know, why can't we, Europe, be independent? Um, we need a militarily sovereign Europe. You know, this has been reiterated multiple times in the last two decades by Jean-Claude Juncker before him, mm -hmm. another Euro-Federalist. They wanted the EU to be big and strong, but to be independent. But that's been completely pulled out from under them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're floundering. Macron can keep saying this, but they're, they're completely floundering. It's far too late. America's come in, and they've got von der Leyen, who's clearly some kind of agent. She is, con she is a conscious co-conspirator with Washington. Mm -hmm. With her past, with her marriage, her relationships with Pfizer, um, her on two sides of her family, she's got British and Anglo British settler in America, colonial slave plantation owners. Mm -hmm. She's from the house of Hanover. This woman is like everywhere you look on her, like her connections. She is an American European, mm -hmm. you know, and Macron then is, he does, does he understand himself that he is in opposition to her? but maintains uh, smiley faces with her uh, on the public stage. When you have someone like that in Brussels, it, mm -hmm. you, you can keep saying this. You're not going to attract uh, a political will to enact, to do anything about it. Mm. Um, yeah. And just to underscore this, so there's Macron telling El Pais in Madrid, for God's sake, you know, can we stop doing everything the Americans want and sort of think for ourselves or enact it? Uh, on the 10th of January, the following happened. There was some kind of meeting in Brussels at the Council of Ministers, and they issued but with NATO heads. So American generals were there meeting with von der Leyen and all the EU heads. And they issued the following NATO-EU joint declaration. Um, and it's a lot of wiffle-waffle. Totally, I know. But there is a, something in it that even uh, Lavrov actually picked up on. He said, that's pretty concrete. So if you scroll down to do a search for, um, do a search for billion. I think it's, there we go, 0.9. This is NATO and EU with one voice. Our mutually reinforcing strategic partnership, which has actually been a thing, a kind of a vehicle since the early 2000s, contributes to strengthening security in Europe and beyond. NATO and the EU play complementary, coherent, and mutually reinforcing roles in supporting international peace and security. Blah. We will further mobilize the combined set of instruments at our disposal, be they political, economic, or military, to pursue our common objectives to the benefit of our one billion citizens. Mm -hmm. it's, you see what's happened here. It's one entity. The West, the walls are being built around the West. The yeah. EU was, has been, whether it was set out that way or not in the start, there's obviously there was a lot of CIA, US interests, establishment interests post-World War II and creating what went on to become the European Union. But the entire time they've made sure it was either reined in or derailed whenever it went too independent. Mm -hmm. Because to go independent during the Cold War, they said, well, that's to go commie. Mm -hmm. That's to go towards Russia. So they associated with going commie then if you try to be too like de Gaullist or something. Now it's different. They can't blame the communism part anymore, mm -hmm. but they're just rapidly going ahead and building this cohesion around a billion people, not the Europe's half billion. No, what about the world policeman? NATO, I know it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization in Europe and stuff, but I mean, that's just big on behalf of America and America is the world's policeman. One billion is only one eighth of the world's population. 
Well, the, the closing ranks, this is where you get into. This is the, the yeah. references from Russia about the golden billion. Yeah. Well, it's also that, that suggests it's, 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 uh, we're already living in a multipolar world then. Yeah. So long as Europe is, the battle for this is to keep Europe in the American pole. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's, that's, that's one of, you know, several poles. There's only 1 billion people. It's 12% of the world's population. They're making a, a, an explicit reference to uh, common objectives to the benefit of our 1 billion citizens. So that's, that's all that interests them now. That's us. We're, we're, of course, they're not really doing anything that's benefiting their citizens. They're doing the opposite. But to, to benefit their, their positions of power in the, in the areas that they, that they, over which they rule, um, that's their main objective now. And the rest of the world is, uh, is the enemy, essentially. The other 7 billion are, is the enemy. The jungle, yeah. as opposed to the garden, right? Yeah, just throw this one up again. Uh, this is the, the one about uh, on Germany. Just there's a couple of things I wanted to point out. Just search the word "rust" or "ust" on that topic of NATO unity. Uh, it's like acid, he said. It's like acid eroding. This is Germany's decision to to not send tanks will likely go down badly with its allies, both in the immediate and long term. It's like acid eroding through layer after layer of trust, a senior NATO diplomat told CNN on Friday. Germany's hesitance would also have a lasting impact on the rest of Europe and potentially push other members of the alliance to- closer towards the US. Yeah. If 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 uh, they wish, basically, they hope. But if you just go down to what, just below, what does Germany want, which is the part I was saying before, our... Yeah, keep going. Oh, sorry. Go down to a pivotal, a pivotal moment. The next one, just below that. Uh, it is often said in diplomatic circles that Germany's 21st century model for success has been built on three pillars: cheap Chinese labor, cheap Russian energy, and American guarantees of security. Hmm. Uh, many believe this well-known preference for diplomatic pragmatism and subsequent reluctance to pick sides will mean any defense reforms will be severely limited. One German official told CNN that it would be hard for mainstream politicians to break free from old habits. They have an inherent skepticism against siding overtly with the USA and a subtle hope that the relationship with Russia can be fixed. So, yeah, that's the problem with Germany. Um, Good intentions. And the problem with NATO and the fact that, you know, this is, there's obviously other things going on in the world. There's you know, we'll talk about that in a minute in terms of the more macro stuff for the, the World Economic Forum people and what, you know, who are the usual suspects, so the ones who are, go from opining on Ukraine and sending tanks to Ukraine, etc., then pop up at the WEF and start talking about uh, the future of the of the globe, basically, and the future of uh, the world's citizens and how we're all going to live and um, the new social order that we're going to that is going to be ushered in. So it's um, there's more than just obviously Ukraine, but um, Ukraine seems to be the ultimate result of, of this Ukraine conflict and primarily the US uh, push has been obviously from the beginning pushing for the continuation of the pro- prolongation of the conflict that is aimed at or will ultimately, given that it will ultimately um, result in um, you know, hard times to the European economy, um, and in that sense, uh, a net downgrading of, of of Europe as a as an economic powerhouse in the world. 
uh, we have to assume that's the intent. So the intent there, uh, America's intent in, in, in pushing for prolongation or pushing for this confrontation with Russia in Ukraine is as much directed against Europe as it is against yeah. Russia. And for it to re- become slash remain a supplicant of the US. Mm-hmm. Yes, it wants it in a subservient position, basically. So America is fighting that, you know. It, and that's what I was talking about last week, about the Obi-Wan Kenobi... Uh, um, <laughs> theory of theory US of, MAGA Congress. Yeah. Um, you know, America has already pivoted towards um, going it alone. Um, in a certain sense. Of course, it's, it's going to exploit all of the influence it has accrued over the past 70 or 80 years over other countries in the world. It's going to exploit that to the max, but ultimately, uh, we're not really friends anymore with anybody. Right. America is not even pretending to be friends with anybody anymore because shit just got real. The world's going down the tubes. It's every man for himself. And, you know, I'm not going to form alliances. I'm going to get what's best for us and for me at the expense of whoever, allies included. In fact, allies first, because they're easiest to exploit. Yeah, and Germans just lack the guile or something. Well, like I said, that maybe they do know, but they lack the gumption yeah. to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, and said, well, they're bombarded. They, it, I can't remember his name. Udo something. He was a German journalist. I think he's passed away now but he outed the, the extent of American CIA control of the media for decades in Germany. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of bile we saw there, oh, it's layers and layers of trust being eroded by mm. acid. Mm. I mean, that's such a psychopathic bluff. Like, <laughs> that's obviously written by... Don't you trust me? Yeah. That, and that, it's not just a NATO diplomat saying it. They've got, they've got German <clears throat> erstwhile intellig- intelligentsia wrapped around their fingers as well. Mm-hmm. They're either confused or they're bought and paid for. Mm. Yeah, talking about bile, uh, we move on to World Economic Forum. Yes, let's. The, let's the event of the year. It's my favorite time of the year, actually. One when, of the, when our lizard overlords gather at, gather at Davos in the, in the snowy Alps to uh, pontificate on... <laughs> On how the world's going to be, our vision for the future. They got everything. Come with us. Got everything. What you're going to eat? How you're going to heat your home? Yeah. Here's the biggest. One of the biggest. Well, there's a lot of bile spewers there, but here's one of the biggest bile spewers. And of course, he's been spewing bile for a very long time, way longer than he should be allowed to. But here he is. Get get some of this. Six hundred thousand Hiroshima class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. Al Gore shit in his pants at the at the WF. Definitely, he's excited, he's super excited, super stoked, and quite angry. He, he put in everything there apart from Putin. Look at the Zenith, six million bombs, atomic rivers, bombs, uh, immigration, oceans rising, oceans falling, fucking volcanoes, fuck Putin everywhere. I mean, Jesus, it's uh, we gotta do something about all that shit. What the hell was the six hundred thousand Hiroshima bombs about? What was he? That's global warming. That's the amount oh, of uh, boiling the ocean. Oh yeah. yeah, the amount of energy uh, that is being mm. trapped because of greenhouse gases. Because mm. 
what about the ozone layer? Remember the ozone layer? No, because they realize that it's a natural thing. Whatever. 600,000 <laughs> atomic bombs are, have, first of all, they destroyed the ozone layer and then they put it back and now they're boiling the oceans. And the polar bears and the ice caps and the rising oceans and the falling oceans and the falling land and the rising land and the tornadoes <laughs> and the sinkholes and the, the freaking meteorites and, and Putin and Ukraine and Germany and, uh, COVID. And fuck, we have to act, Neil. Come on. What else do I need to say? All of that it was is caused a, by global you. warming. Yeah, it was a you did it. it was a rousing speech. What, what does he want us to do? Fucking act, will you? <laughs> act like him. I Put on an act. Worked up, yeah. Get worked get, up. Get spittle. Start flacking people with your spittle. What strikes me is that I think he really believes what he's saying. Well, he's really, you'd think after, it'd be a good act he's been I think putting on for over 20 years. Uh, you know, he never shut up about it for 20 years and he's out of politics. Well, technically out of politics, but he, but then he's probably making a lot of money from it too, you know. It's hard to, hard to pick it, tease it out, you know, whether it's complicated, you know. Yeah. If you, if you asked him himself, he'd say, well, it's complicated. You know, it does give me a paycheck, a fairly large paycheck at the end of every month, but I'm also, I also believe it. But he'd say to himself, but hang on, do I believe it because of the paycheck? Or is it the other way around? I don't know. I can't really tell you. I mean, you have to sit him down, put him down on the couch and say, Al, listen, I want to explore this psychologically. Do you actually <laughs> believe, I want to explore the depths of your psyche, do you actually believe that global warming is a threat to the world? Is that why you're going around shouting about it? Or is it because you're making shit loads of money from it? Is that why you're going around shouting about it? What is it? Is it personal investment, personal gain? Or is it really heartfelt belief? And are the two, can you really separate the two? Can we separate money and your heart, Al? Is there any difference between the two? <laughs> between money and your heart? Is your act, is your heart actually made of greenbacks? If we opened you up now and would we just find a bunch of squashed up like hundred dollar bills in where your heart is? <clears throat> That's what we need to discover. I want you, Al, to go home and take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and ask yourself these deep questions because otherwise you're going to give yourself a fucking heart attack if you keep going around <laughs> places like this shouting about 600,000 atomic bombs. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Zero Red Fox in the comments says, stop boiling the polar bears with your xenophobia. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Trabazon says, give Al Gore the Nobel Prize to shut him up. That's a good point, actually. Maybe that's what he's acting for. I'll shove it down his throat. The Nobel, Prize, the Nobel Prize is now an acting award, right? It's a medal. It would probably just be big enough to, to, to throttle him, to, to block his esophagus, block his windpipe, sorry. Um, <clears throat> here, I'll eat this. Uh, You'll feel better. There's a nugget of info in that morass of mayhem. Xenophobia. From Al Gore. The billion climate refugees. Remember we talked about that a couple of years ago? Mm. When the WF, WEF, and others first... And World Bank put out a study as well. They're talking about a billion climate refugees. I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? And it, w we looked at it and it looked like they're obviously using AGW nonsense for their model output. But the, the doom angle on this was more than just in, in by 2100 or something, there'll mm. be a billion refugees. Mm. They're like, no, it's coming. It's pretty imminent. You know, mm. they were so sure about that, the kind of surety. Again, is it a money making? For, I don't know. But mm. that prediction was first touted a couple of years ago, mm. I think pre COVID. Um, and then he referenced it again. Now, what, what, do these people hear something in their verified 
places, you know, about like catastrophe way beyond what even their rising sea levels, you know. It's just well, let's let, let's uh, let's let's that would that's what they would call uh, or would cause a billion climate refugees, right? Um, they're they're modelled, right? But you're wondering where they get that information from and, and how Al Gore is. So Al Gore's been sent, spent the last, what year is this? 18 years. Throw this up, Scotty. Uh, it's more than 18 years old, actually. What is it? 2004. It's 2004. Mm. Now the Pentagon tells Bush, climate change will destroy us. Uh, and in there is uh, a reference to mass migration. Britain will be Siberian in less than 20 years. Yeah. Well, that didn't pan out, but... Global warming? They don't really know, but this is the kind of thing they're working off, you know? They've had their models yeah. for quite a, quite a long time. But I suspect they had different models, though. Yeah. Well, who? Insider, outsider models. Because mm. remember, there was a Bilderberg yeah. minutes where they said, on on our minutes for this year's meeting, global cooling. You know? Yeah. But either way, the, the the migrants, the billion migrants, will be they'll run just as quick from the snow as they will from the burning sun, from the drought stricken land to the ice covered tundra. They'll run just as quick. So it doesn't matter. Either way, uh, climate catastrophe is imminent, as is the one billion refugees swarming like mosquitoes out of the jungle towards your beautiful garden nail where you're sitting in your first world deck chair in your lovely Europe, chair, European actually. garden huh in your first world no outside in your in your comfy outside lounger with your with your pina colada your pint of Guinness and you don't realize that towards your beautiful European garden one billion mosquitoes are coming <laughs> <laughs> And this is what Al is trying to warn you about. Yeah. Your house will be ungovernable. Well, the, there'll be no more the, the ref lazy days in the evening, summer evenings in the garden. The people on the move now are mostly fleeing from America's actions. Yeah. But that's, that's a sick thing. They're going to fold this into any potential environmental catastrophic, you know, cascading natural disaster scenario if it's indeed on, on the cards. Mm. They're going to follow it into say, the climate. You see, we were right all along. But people are not fleeing anywhere now. They're fleeing wars, the consequence of America's wars. Mm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's true. Uh, but that global warming, are we allowed to say that on YouTube? Global warming is a hoax? I don't know. Uh, uh, two strikes and you're nearly out. I still have been saying that for a long time. Yeah, so. maybe they got over that by now, have they? Yeah. They've calmed down about that. Well, it's not that it's a hoax. I mean, obviously, there is significant climate change. Uh, occurring, uh, the question is whether or not it's man-made, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, the problem is that what you do about it? Act. Well, you know, apparently the latest thing you should do about it, well, first thing, you, first thing we've, been, we've had to do about it for quite a long time is stop using fossil fuels. Blow up Nord Stream 1, shut off Europe from Russian, cheap Russian oil and gas, but not just shut them off and force them to use green energy, force them to use American oil and gas, because um, it's a lot dirtier and more expensive, and that's good for the environment, apparently. Anyway, there's a lot of hypocrisy around that aspect, obviously. Um, 
not least of which all these people flying to Davos in their private jets. But anyway, um, it's what you do about it. Now, it seems to me that, yeah, the only way you could justify doing well with fossil fuels and most recently stop using gas, uh, gas cookers, and go for electric cookers, right? Mm. The same way you meant to stop using home heating oil and uh, diesel, uh, you know, burners, uh, what do you call them? Uh, what's the word? Boilers. Boilers. Yeah. Uh, fuel, fuel boilers and uh, home heating boilers and um, gas in your house to heat your home or to cook with. You have to get rid of uh, rid of all that and use renewables. Um, the only way that would make sense or would be reasonable, you might get people to go along with that, is if you could convince them that it's going to get warmer. If it's going to get colder overall, globally, mm. uh, then that's a really bad idea. And they've succeeded so far, yeah. I guess. So, and of course, global warming is, you know, again, is it a thing? We've had very cold winters. Of course, they themselves admit that, at this point, admit that uh, global warming, uh, or rather climate change, manifests with hot spells and also very cold spells and a lot of rain, basically general climate chaos. Uh, given that, it, and so it's chaotic and you don't really know what's going to happen, you know, you can't be for sure, you know. I mean, they try and say that it's going to warm overall, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Anyway, in wintertime, they admit that you can get much colder winters as a result of climate change. So um, that doesn't seem like a good idea to rely on solar panels or wind turbines when you might have an extended long cold winter in the northern, northern hemisphere as a result of climate change. Uh, even as a result of man-made global warming, uh, even if we did it, uh, if it's our fault, I don't think it's a good idea to kill ourselves off, uh, to, to pay for it by freezing as a result of cutting ourselves off from fossil fuels, which are a much more reliable and efficient, well, not efficient necessarily, but much more reliable, arguably efficient uh, source of heating yourself over a long extended winter. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And it's interesting though, I mean, you, heard, you probably heard the thing this week about in America, just swept America about... <laughs> gas stoves. <laughs> gas stoves, yeah. Um, it was crazy. Uh, I saw some article saying um, they're worse than uh, the, the pollution, talking about pollution from gas stoves is worse than um don't know what it's worse than actually it's worse than well it's worse than pollution car pollution or being outside or whatever um oh there you have it did i send it to you gas hubs could be worse for your lungs than polluted city streets so they claims that if no gas stoves are used then up to a fifth of childhood asthma cases could be prevented now what i see with this and this is in the in the uk they just took it up like but it started across america and it, it just became a sudden meme like last week which is bizarre like you know what i mean just spread around because the biden White House decided to just all of a sudden tell people that using gas stoves was deadly. Yeah. Um, but um, with with them trying to, to to stop using gasoline for your cars or diesel for your cars, fossil fuel for your cars, basically make make you buy electric cars, um, and now to tell you to stop using gas burners and instead use electric. Both of those, basically both of those say move away from fossil fuels to electric. 
uh, for your very basic needs, let's say very basic in terms of heating your house um, uh, and, and with heat pumps, whatever your house. So heating your house on electric, feeding yourself, cooking your food with electric and driving your car with electric. All of which there's a common theme amongst yeah. in that, which is you no longer have independent control over and access to Anything. how you do those things. Yeah. How you heat your house, feed yourself and, and drive your car. If you have, you know, just buy yourself a, you know, 500 gallon tank or whatever, or thousand liter tank or whatever, and put diesel in it or, or gasoline in it, you know, get it delivered from somebody who, you know, somebody who supplies you, uh, you know, someone who sells diesel or gasoline, uh, and then get a tank in your, um, in your garden full of natural gas for your house or, and or for your stove. You are independent for at least a period of time. You can actually be independent on those three things, heating your home, cooking your food, and driving your car. You don't need any, you know, you have the resources at home. <clears throat> and you can, depend on how much you want to keep or store, you can have it for a significant amount of time. What they're saying is, no, no, that's all bad. You're destroying the planet. Planet, you're evil. Uh, you hate, you're xenophobic because you hate migrants because you're causing them to flee their countries and mm. swarm across your garden. And you hate your garden as well. So you need to get rid of all those and rely on electricity, which comes down a line into your house. And ultimately, even though there can be private electricity companies, etc., it's controlled by someone else. And ultimately, in many places in Europe at least, probably in the US as well, controlled by the federal government or the government. So they can ration. They want you to go away from independence, energy independence, cooking, heating, driving, to energy reliance on government. That's Pretty simple. The, that's that's yeah, the end result. Like. The common denominator. Yeah. Um. And it's justified by you're going to destroy the planet if you don't do this. And it's just, it's at that line where you go, okay, sounds a bit suspicious, generally a bit suspicious of government anyway, don't really, bit of a libertarian, don't really want much government influence or control or in, intrusion on my life, therefore no thanks, therefore I don't believe you. Therefore actually there appears to be a counter-narrative to what you're saying about why this is happening and why we need to do this and that there's a reasonable argument to say that you're full of shit and your your narrative is bullshit. It's just it's just a narrative, and therefore the only thing that's consistent is you want me to not be you want me to be reliant on you for my energy needs, which goes against who I am. Therefore, take a hike. That's I yeah. mean that's conspiracy theory, right? That's and that's even that's with the uh, you know you could even play that with with COVID, you know. And we're not saying one way or another about COVID or vaccines or anything. We're not, we're not making any particular statement on that. Uh, but there are people who, uh, on Twitter, actually, Scott Adams mm. came out and kind of said, okay, you guys, you know, the anti people who are skeptical about the vaccine seem to have been ended up in a better position than people who took the vaccine. And he said, you used heuristics and I used, da I, I used data and you used heuristics, which isn't really true. It's the opposite. But anyway, right. um, he was trying to say, well, it's complicated how you did that. And it's like, it's not complicated, Scott, at all. It's not really complicated at all. In the same way, like I just said, with uh, with energy, you know, when I mean, you just look at a situation and you see if, some, if, if, if an authority is what they're saying, if you can just follow it down a few steps and see that it puts you in a bind, that it, that it makes you dependent on them, then the next step is, okay, do I fully trust 
that authority, authority with my dependence with, with that dependence with the, with the influence or the control uh, they have over me yes or no are you willing to bet your life on it basically yes or no that's, that's what it comes down to yes or no it's, it's not complicated at all and the same applies to the COVID thing how much do you love your government are you willing to trust them with your life yeah yeah exactly how much you that be- should be the only poll how much they should you- forget elections how much do you believe that- just ask them about people that question yeah and how much do you believe that your government really, really loves you and really cares about you individually and would really go the extra mile to do what is really necessary for you and for your well-being and that of your family? Is, is the, are you, you know, are you willing to uh, kind of like, uh, um, are you willing to give responsibility for, you know, the basics of your daily existence to the government? You know, do you want to do that? Do you think it's a good idea? Would you ever want to do that, you know? Um, so it's not complicated, you know? No. It's pretty simple. That should definitely be the only question asked of people yeah. going forward. Because that's all the elections and the referenda and the proposals. Mm-hmm. and, and then just, just ask people that question, you know? Yeah. Yes or no. Well, See a, what to say. Any situation or any government policy that, that ends up with people in that position, then the question should be asked. You know what I mean? All right. That's, that, that should be the, the, the question that's put to the public. Like, the, look, what the government wants to do here will put you in a situation where you're entirely dependent for your very basic daily needs on the government. Are you willing to trust that they won't just, for whatever reason they might come up with, switch off uh, the, the supply line and you'd be in serious problems? Are you willing to trust these? They're not faceless bureaucrats, but they're bureaucrats and you don't know them. They're not your friends. Uh, you're just, you know, you literally are a number to them. Are you willing to trust them as you, are you willing to extend the kind of trust that you would extend to a family member to Boris Johnson? Do you think he really cares about you? Do you think Joe Biden really loves you? You know, some American citizen, one of 320 million American citizens, ask any one of them, do you think Joe Biden cares about you individually? Do you think he knows, does he, well, obviously he doesn't know you, right? You never met him. Do you think you could appeal to him? Do you want to write a letter to him? Tell him who you are? mention that you're one of 320 million other plebes and that uh, you really trust that he will, you know, he has it in his heart. He's got a big enough heart to accommodate all 320 million Americans and really feel for them and do what's right by them. And if any of them are in particular difficulties, he will solve your problem. Uh, is that, uh, you know, do, do you want to, you want to read another fairy story? Like, I mean, I mean, how old are you? Uh, do you read adult books ever? <clears throat> so, yeah, you've yeah, it's, it's clear for me now. I've made my choice. Thanks, okay. Joe. Well, it's up to you. I just, I'm just, I love I, my I, government. Okay. So, well, um, <laughs> as long as got that, yeah. There's something about failed former Democrat candidates in U.S. elections, like Al Gore. We just saw here's John Kerry. In Davos last week. Jesus. What in the hell? I mean, this makes Al Gore make sense. God knows what else he was saying, but this this is a clip from his informal speech. When you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings. Who? Because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives okay, touched all right. the room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet I mean it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about quote saving the planet and if you said that to most people most people 
they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging lefty liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever. And and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. Very interesting. Yes, play it again. I think he just went aliens. Play it again. Doesn't want to play again. Refresh. Twitter does that. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings. Pause there. Because of we select group of human beings. I mean, is he is he so detached from? The people, most people aren't aware of the World Economic Forum and, and Davos. Um, they're not aware that it's going on, but there's a significant minority of people who are active on social media, et cetera, et cetera, who are aware sure. of what's going on. And a lot of them, you know, a significant, I don't know, from a significant minority or even a majority of that minority of people who are aware of it probably go, you know, this is a bit dodgy. I mean, you know, it's a bit elitist. It's a bit elitist, and they're all and it and and doesn't resonate. With and me. I would like to hear something from them to show that they they resonate with me, the the average, you know, the common man type thing. And then he comes out with we select group of individuals. It's like no, it's not you're not doing your you're not doing the conspiracy yeah. theorists. Uh, well, you're actually helping the conspiracy theorists. Let's say 100%. you're not doing yourselves any favor. Uh, favors. You're not uh, putting anybody's mind at ease. That you're not a select group of individual, a select group group of human beings meeting together in secret, and uh, having back backroom uh, discussions on what to do with with the with the common on uh, un- the great unwashed out there. You know, uh, keep going. Whatever touched us at some point in our lives. Stop there. <laughs> yeah, in Ireland, you know. There's a phrase touched in the head, you know, <laughs> and it means you're, you're, there's something wrong with you, you know, uh, and I think it actually re- goes back to, uh, maybe some kind of folk- folklore or whatever, you know, uh-huh. where like fairies or something touch people and, and make you go bonkers, you know, and fairies obviously would be, uh, for people who know would be a, a kind of reference for, you know, be lumped in there with like kind of paranormal activity basically and uh-huh. you know, including aliens and stuff like that, UFOs and stuff, you know. So it's basically he's talking about them, that them, uh, the select group of human beings having been touched at some point in their lives uh-huh. that caused them all to get together in this, in this, uh, high mountain retreat in the, in the eagle's nest. Um, <laughs> that's how serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, come on. See what he was, see what they're doing. Go ahead are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. That's weird, Poser. So we select a group of people who have all been in some way or other, you know... Touched by fairies. Touched by some weird demonic powers who made us all get together <laughs> in a mountain retreat <laughs> to, conspire. Talk, to conspire together about saving the planet. <laughs> and I know it sounds crazy, but isn't it great? Yeah, good job, John. Really put my mind at ease there. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing now to just sit back and let you guys uh, carry on. At this point, I, do what's best for us I all. just need to go through Twitter for a few minutes every day and just retweet their own statements. I mean, there's no... There's nothing else you can do. 
you don't need to add anything or clarify anything. Extraterrestrial. I, I suppose what he meant to say was that, you know, fate or destiny or some kind of divine or higher inspiration mm. has motivated us it's weird, to do yeah. something. But he used the word extraterrestrial, yeah. which is obviously associated with paranormal. Right. He's such an idiot materialist that mm. he doesn't understand the implications of his use of words. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, it's like he, he, something, some, he's under some, they're under he some kind a, of, he can't understand himself, but, you know, he feels that he's under some kind of an influence, you know? Yeah. It's well, like I'm under some kind of an influence are. to get together. All of us here, we're under a kind of a, a weird, influence uh, that makes us get together. And I myself even think it's totally weird that I would be sitting here, standing here in this room, talking to other people and we're all kind of, yeah, conspiring about how to save the world. It's weird. I don't know where I got this idea from, but I'm going to run with it yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we can still make the next one because this is... Yeah, who do you, what, what did you describe John Kerry as? These people who, like, outside of politics or former politicians or former... It's weird. Here's another one. Oh. Well, who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been? Some of the vaccines that will come on the line will be multiple. There'll be multiple shots. So you've yeah. got to have, for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. There you go, Commander Blair of the Galactic Galactic Command, uh, extraterrestrial Galactic Command. He wants to do just play at the start again. We probably have to refresh to get it start again. He just he just blurts it out. That it's only the segment with the other two is that they're become from progressive, nominally progressive yeah. politics. What do we want, Blair? What do we need? You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Okay. Vaccines that will come on down the line in like a multiple, database or something. Multiple shots. So you multiple shots. But for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. Digital infrastructure, you mean a database. So you want to have it. So you're sitting up in your mountain retreat with John Kerry and all Klaus Schwab, uh, your commander of the Galactic Command, and um, Lord Blair of, you know, Uranus. <laughs> he is <laughs> now a lord, isn't Lord he? Blair of... Uh, of uh, of the play, I don't know, see the plays. Uh, anyway, Lord Blair is uh, planning a. After John Kerry once has, was wondering why we want to, why we're all here, touching the head, want to save the world. It's weird, it's extraterrestrial. Blair and I want to create a database of everybody on the planet, <clears throat> uh, with the, showing how many vaccines they've had, how many medical procedures, or how many medical treatments they've taken, specific medical treatments. Brand new medical treatments that have never been rolled out in the population before this past few years. Um, gene editing, effectively. Gene therapy, let's call it. Um, and he wants a database to know who's had it and who hasn't. I've seen, have I seen this movie? I think I've seen this movie, no? X-Files. <clears throat> the one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like watching them just spout tropes. Mm. From sci-fi, from sci-fi, or any Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. What about what about this one? Do you have the the Siemens guy? Yeah, he's next. But we'll see that these guys. These guys go global. These guys talk about saving the planet. 
Uh, check out what these guys are standing in front of. Ooh. Dear friends, scientifically, this is not a climate crisis. We are now facing something deeper. Mass extinction, air pollution, <gasps> undermining <gasps> ecosystem function, <gasps> really putting humanity's future at risk. This is Trading a planetary soul. crisis. No! This is a safety crisis, but above huh? all, it is also a justice crisis. Huh? Many areas in the world what? are uninhabitable. This oh. uninhabitable zone is increasing. If oh we continue God. with our greenhouse gas emissions, then by 2070, as many as 3 billion people will live in uninhabitable zones. Uninhabitable zones? But how can they live in uninhabitable zones? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? And what about the one billion mosquito refugees? <laughs> what about the one billion refugees? Where are they going to live? If, the, if like the non-refugees are already living in un, uninhabitable, habitable, habitating, <laughs> inhabiting uninhabitable zones, where does that put the billion refugees? They just get pushed off the planet. I mean, there's not much lower you can go than an uninhabitable zone. No. Are, uh, the Arctic, which will have melted by then. Yeah. You'd be living inside polar bears. <laughs> it's just the dead, the dead carcasses of polar bears. At least John Kerry acknowledges that, you know, we don't really know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. The rest of them, though, are so sure, you know. But then, like you say, when there's checks to cash in. They're touched in the head. Um, yeah, put put but, that dude up. Yeah, this this is interesting as well because here you have got guy. He's 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 purely from the corporate world, covering all the bases. The rest are all NGO or former quote unquote progressive politicians. This next one is from the chairman of Siemens. Um, you know, German multinational. With some bullshit story about how he became vegetarian, but have a listen. It's a very important point that you are addressing. Um, my daughter, 24, inspired me and said, Dad, how can you advocate for these zero-carbon value chains if you still eat meat? And so I stopped eating meat. Now the math would say, well, you need to stop eating meat uh, 11 years to compensate for a flight to Thailand. Yes. Or Davos. But if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you it has a big impact. Not Definitely only does it have a big impact on the current food system, but oh, it will no. also inspire innovation of food systems. And I predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will from probably immigrants. taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will what be those immigrants? zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. That is a mission that we need to get on. I can inspire you to maybe look at an organization called EAT, easy to remember, EAT, <laughs> yeah, who have all yeah, the facts on this and who have the policies necessary, the innovations necessary, and the scale necessary in order to make food systems sustainable and healthy. It's all worked out. Boring Thank a you dinner, so much, Jim, dinner party. And you're right. Eats is really a great foundation. You should all really look at. Yeah, um, yeah, immigrants eat the immigrants. No, 
I, I, Zero carbon. That's man, definitely reducing your carbon footprint. The matter of fact way he just said, you know, the policy is already there. We have the plans. So we just need to start doing it. I mean, yeah. my daughter the needs really is overrated. We have come up with something much better. He's yeah, like, who, the the fuck, who is so arrogant? Are you kidding me? They're there to save the world, Liam. <gasps> That's unbelievable. They're the world saviors. They all got god complexes. Um, oh, they also did. But, uh, yeah, his yeah his daughter um, put him on, put him straight on. I wonder if his daughter friends with Greta, um, no doubt. But she said, "How can you advocate this zero carbon business if you still eat meat?" And I went, "Ah, oh, yeah, this is I must live good. my philosophy. That is very good, my daughter, because the obvious connection between eating meat and carbon is very very clear, isn't it, darling?" Yes, my daughter, and it's like, no, it's not. Not at all. Why don't you explain Neither that is to the me? connection between CO2 and what drives climate, but <clears throat> they're just, these people have moved so off into this touched reality that's just, all we can do is just admire the, the delusion, the absurdity of it. The depth um, of their delusion. Yeah. On the, the last week you showed um, the scary clip of, of the, the father of this movement. If Greta is a mother, the father is uh, Ash Bob. Uh, although that clip, as I pointed out, with him railing about the dangers of a massive global uh, cyber pandemic, mm. was actually something he got out first in June 2020. Right. Um, while everyone was trapped in their homes, you know, handy time to prepare for the next thing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. At this one, at this year in Davos, they did the same thing. They had some. Um, side meeting on the same thing, predicting catastrophic global cyber attacks. We've probably heard all this before, but uh, let's see if there's any update to their spiel. I don't know who these people are, mind you. Many famous names. Let's see. We're here today to share the findings of the World Economic Forum's uh, Global Security Outlook uh, Report 2023. This is a result of uh, research in collaboration with the forum's communities and our partner Accenture, which we've uh, interviewed and sought input from over 300 executives globally. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. Huh. So geopolitical instability, well, he kept it neutral, but mm-hmm. that's obviously in, with um, NATO versus Russia in mind mm-hmm. and potentially China down the road. So Klaus Schwab, these guys are all WEF. Klaus Schwab is WEF. In 2020, he's predicting a massive global... I don't know what he was citing then as the cause for what terrorism. That was in the, t- the end, tail end of the war on terror. Mm-hmm. But now it's shifted. Ah, you see, the plausible narrative would be war um, or fallout from NATO yeah. versus uh, Russia. That's, that's something that could happen this year. You know, We might see that. Because, I mean... At some point, if it's going to escalate, mm-hmm. one of the next targets would that would be fair game would be space-based satellites, uh, right? So ground ground relays and stuff like that, and maybe not necessarily Russians shooting rockets down, but 
you know, trying to take them out with Trojan viruses or something like that, or malware or whatever, however they would hack the systems and vice versa. Well, we know for, it's a fact that there is massive, uh, the cyber attacks happen definitely every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the direction is almost one way. It goes from the United States to Russia. Right. Um, in that direction. Well, if a cyber attack takes out the, uh, takes out the elect- electricity grid, for example, electric grid, you'd want to have some fossil fuels on hand, no? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, but so, everything but the they stuff argue, that, yeah. They, everything, the things they argue for in the broad strokes should be sending you in the opposite direction to the one they're trying to put you in a bind yeah. to. They're basically uh, warning you about all these deadly, uh, all these disasters that are, you know, potentially, you know, will befall humanity, and all of the solutions to them for the average person are solutions that will not work in the event that disaster befalls humanity. Yeah, it'll be the opposite of what you would want. Yeah, and these are our geniuses. <laughs> well, no, obviously, well, that, there's a certain kind, a certain kind of genius, I suppose, but um, touched ones uh, yes. who 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 want don't want what's best for you, you know. Um, I wonder if this is related. You remember the thing with the? Oh, do you want to say something? Else? Go ahead. Why were all the U.S. planes grounded on January 11th for several hours? Yeah, first time to, since 9/11. Went to Canada as well. No, it happened it resulting in widespread flight delays. Um, the uh, it went to Canada. Well, it, it, it happened so close in time that it made it your mind went, Well, it must be related. Mm-hmm. Officially, they're not. Um, let's send this first one to Scott. This is about the, U, the U.S. incident from NPR. A damaged file may have caused the outage in an FAA system leading mm-hmm. to travel chaos. And there's no update on that since. So, Transport Secretary Buttigieg, 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 he was, it was his statement to the press. He suggested the the damaged file to a NOTAM, that's notice to aviation. I'm not sure what it stands for, database. Basically, NOTAM system warns of any threats in the air or something. And that was down. Therefore, the FAA ordered nationwide pause on all domestic flights. First time since 9-11. Okay, so same day, but not the same time. Um, Canada has its own separate NOTAM system. Mm-hmm. It's not really linked. All things are linked because of the internet and stuff, but I'm pretty sure that this to keep it secure, they're separate. This is from CBC Canada. On the same day, its NOTAM system briefly went down at a different time, though. And the authorities there gave the reason that there was, they said specifically there's no connection with the U.S. issue and blamed, quote, computer hardware failure. Okay. One last incident actually was the first one chronologically on New Year's Day in the Philippines. I didn't know this. I saw Tucker Carlson reference it. Um, All aircraft were grounded in the Philippines New Year's Day, and the reason given there was, quote, 
a power outage cut communication lines mm-hmm. for different reasons in all three cases. Zero follow-up. It's one of those glitches, you know, that yeah. makes you wonder, are they testing something now? Was it powered down deliberately or not? Maybe it was naked. This is what the thing about the whole cyber pandemic thing is like, if you look at it this way, if you don't trust these guys, you know that you, you suspect you're suspicious. And so you put your, t- your conspiracy theory tenfold hat on, you think they're up to something. They're going to do it themselves, right? They're prepping you psychologically for mm-hmm. something they're going to do. Okay. That's if you, that's way inclined. But there's another possibility. They know something they won't share, which is that they have reasonably good, plausible reasons for making such freaking alarmist statements. Okay, some of them are horse hockey, rising sea levels, whatever. But a global cyber pandemic, or however they call it, cyber attack or something, or systems going down suddenly, what is that obsession with things suddenly and possibly imminently, like th- these guys, Al Gore is talking like it's in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. You, you get that from him, right? He expects to see dividends on this in his lifetime. So mm-hmm. this is imminent in the near, like not a hundred years hence. It's in the next few years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what the hell are they thinking? Like they, they do really seem to be uh, worried yeah. about sudden impacts to communications, energy supply, food, etc. Yeah. I, I don't think these guys are just purely, if you, the, the full conspiracy theory take is, oh, it's all just pure greed and money. And yeah, they're touched by something. Yeah, they're touched by idiocy. And they're just doing it because it's a hysteria. At the root of all this is just pure lefty liberal tree hugging, mm-hmm. as uh, Kerry himself described, hysteria. And there's no need for it, for God's sake. There's no, there's no need for any of them. It's just purely fantastic. We're all sick. and But for us, indeed, like the climate science believers say, but for us, the earth will be fine. There's no problem out there in objective reality. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We're the problem. It's all in our heads and we're sick, you know? Yeah. So the, the two are in agreement, actually, on that point, ironically. It's all just man-made. It's just one is saying it's all man-made and we can fix it. And the other one says it's all man-made. It's Assyria. It's all man-made what? Hysteria? It, it's just pure. If yeah, there's yeah. No, It's all a hoax. If you just calm down, go out, enjoy the sunset, there's nothing to worry about. Mm. I wonder if there is something objectively to worry about, but these idiots have got their read on it completely wrong. Well, the main thing I would worry about is them. You know what right. I mean? Because it's not it just because just you suggest that they're, or say that they're, 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 they're a bit crazy, that they've lost the plot, they're hysterical, whatever, doesn't mean that they won't. They aren't, and they are pushing through policies that are, are, are um, have, have a very bad prognosis for, yeah. for ordinary human beings. You know what I mean? So whether or not it's real, these people are are dangerous. You know. Um, yeah. Check this out. We'll move on to. Uh, we'll see if we can move on to it. I suppose we can a little bit. We'll see how we can navigate it. YouTube mightn't like it, but we'll see. This is. Do you know who Doctor Peter Hotez is? No, should I? Ah, come on, Neil. Uh, anyway, he, he's a American scientist, pediatrician, and advocate um, in the fields of global health. Uh, blah, blah blah. He serves as founding dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine. He's a professor of pediatrics, molecular biology, and microbiology at blah blah blah. Um, it sounds like a conspiracy theorist. And he is a he was big big man in the 
in the COVID-19 response, uh, he actively used his public profile on Twitter uh, to help combat misinformation about COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. Uh, he just, uh, I don't know if he produced this or who produced this, but you can play it there and we'll see. We have to recognize that anti-vaccine activism, which I actually call anti-science aggression, has now become a major killing force globally. During the COVID pandemic in the United States, 200,000 Americans needlessly lost their lives because they refused a COVID vaccine, even Mm. after vaccines became widely available. And now the anti-vaccine activism is expanding across the world, even into low and middle income countries. It's a killing force. Anti-science now kills more people than things like gun violence, global terrorism, nuclear proliferation, (laughs) or cyber attacks. And now it's become a political movement. In the U.S., it's linked to far extremism on the far right, same in Germany. So this is a new face of anti-science aggression. And so we need political solutions to address this. (laughs) And back to the World Health Organization. So it's anti-science aggression. Anti, if you have questions about vaccines, it's anti-science aggression. It's not just anti-vaccine. Anti-science hmm. aggression. You're worse than terrorists, worse than nu- nuclear proliferation, and worse than global warming, and worse than um, you're worse than Al Gore. Is is that the same or worse than microaggression? It's much worse than microaggression. It's much worse. Yes, but it's, you're worse than it. You're a terrorist, basically. Anti-science aggression terrorist. If mm. you think for even one second that there's anything to question about the vaccines, apparently two hundred thousand people died in America um, because they didn't get the vaccine. Now, where he gets those figures, or if there's any data to back it up, we don't know because he doesn't present it. He just says it in the same way he calls you a terrorist, worse than terrorist, worse. You're worse than a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Did you notice at the end of that it said World Health Organization? Yeah, exactly. Back by the World Health Organization. Right. This is all. That's all promoted. you need to know. They're the authorities. Yes. So the only thing I have to say about that is mm, where's my third is. Um, the only thing I have to say about that is well, I'm going to make I'm going to make a terrorist statement, obviously. And a nu- nu- nuclear nuclear waste loving terroristic statement, and it's actually backed up by science. But this is just more anti-science aggression. If you use science to question science, it's anti-science aggression. So anyway, there's a paper published twenty second December um, in Science Direct. Uh, it just says extended SARS-CoV-2 or BD booster vaccination induces humoral and cellular immune tolerance in mice. Short version of that, uh, and this further down in the, uh, I think it's in the, you can find it in the paper, but I'll just quote from the paper here. It says, we found the conclusions basically. We found that protective effects from the humoral immunity and cellular immunity, i.e. basically all of your immune system, established by the conventional immunization were both profoundly impaired during the extended vaccination course. Uh, profoundly impaired is bad, right? Yes, that's not good. Uh, was basically, so humoral immunity and cellular immunity, like innate, innate immune system and the other one, um, is um, cellular, immunity, cellular immunity were profoundly impaired 
during the extended vaccination course. So three booster, second booster, bad in mice. Uh, but then the question is, you could say that's just mice, but the FDA only required testing on mice to okay the booster. So. So. We should look into it based on these results? Yeah. Or is that anti-science aggression? I demand if, it. if it is anti-science aggression and if it is akin to nuclear waste and global terrorism and global warming and uh, volcanoes, um, then it's not me who's saying it. You have to, YouTube would have to take up that grievance with the authors of this study, which was published in Science Direct uh, last month. That's all I have to say. And it's probably more than enough to get us booted. Um, well, there's one more thing I have to say. Australia, summertime, right? Right. Summertime in Australia. This isn't new because we've reported on it in other places, but um, Mick has helped fuel a rise in the number of fatal cardiac arrests across the country, according to a new report. Let's bring in today's Ashlyn Krukellis in Brisbane for us. Morning, Ashlyn. What are health experts saying? Yes, Ashley. Jane, they say the data is concerning, and that's because it shows within the first eight months of 2022, more than 10,200 Australians died due to heart-related disease, and that number is considered 17% higher than what would be considered normal. In this report this morning, health experts say quite simply the pandemic increased risk factors. They include the virus itself. Some studies show that some people have a higher likelihood of heart disease or stroke after COVID-19 infection. Then there's the fact that some some people delayed medical treatment and therefore uh, delayed uh, going and getting their usual health checkups and getting diagnosis and then treatment. And then to a lesser extent, there's the fact that hospitals were extremely busy during this time. Perhaps reassuringly, though, the Heart Foundation mm. says 2022 also led to a surge in people getting heart checks. And, Jane, mm. that is certainly something they recommend everyone do. Super duper. So, yeah, all those causes of the 17% uh, increase in strokes or heart problems in Australia is to do you know, all those different reasons, COVID, uh, you, know, you know, pandemic response, you know, shutting down of hospitals, healthcare systems, the back, the, the, oh, the, word, the, the, the virus itself. Now the virus itself is made up of many different parts, one of which is a spike protein and that's actually a toxin and it's the mechanism by which the virus enters cells, reproduce, etc. And uh, that spike protein is in the vaccine and, um, that's probably not, that's too close to the real world. I should have said. <laughs> Call it the thing. The thing. No, is that Maxine person? Anyway, um, so uh, that can't be part of it, is all I'm saying. That can't be it in can't any be, way. No. It, can't, it, it certainly can't be mentioned anyway. It can't be, no. Uh, but then there is a new thing, a current thing or a new thing, not the current thing, but the new thing that also is, much, is, is in fact a much better explanation for this increase in heart uh, heart disease or heart complaints or strokes or heart attacks across the world, really, across the Western world in particular. Uh, here it is uh, from, again, this is from Canada. So we'll go to that other bastion of um, 
sciencey sciencey truthness um cb cbc news so what is this link between influenza infection and stroke yeah, I didn't know about this either until last mm. year, but it Me turns either. out that after flu season, about three or four weeks later, there is a stroke season. Uh. And like you said, most of Canada is uh, getting down off of a of a big uh, hump of, of flu. So now we're starting to see more strokes. And a friend of uh, one of my colleagues actually mentioned that at work <clears> the other day. He said, have you noticed how many strokes we're seeing? It's a lot more than usual, it feels like. So anecdotally, yeah. we're starting to see that. Yeah. That'll be the stroke season. So I was at work the other day and one of my colleagues was saying, holy shit, there's a lot of people dying from strokes. That's really, really a large number. It's amazing. What could have happened? I said, that'll be the stroke season. And he says, what do you mean the stroke season? And he says, I've no fucking clue what I'm talking about. I just made that up just, just this minute, but it seems to work because otherwise we would have to say something else. So to avoid saying that other thing, <laughs> don't say gonna, the thing. We're going to call it stroke season. Yeah, so everybody yeah. should know that after you're coming down off a hump of flu season, you go straight into stroke season. And then after that, you get into uh, diabetes, season. diabetes season. And then from there, you go into, um, yeah, myocarditis season and then, um, uh, Bell's palsy season <laughs> and then back into flu season again. So it's hilarious. It's just it's, these people are just—they're like aliens. Like I said before about American elites, they're—they're just—they're so weird. I, and then they—they they have a, all of us, you know, in the binary world. We're not allowed to talk about the thing that they're doing to everyone. We can see it. Don't say the word. Don't say the word. You know what reminds me of years ago? Um, there was a noticeable increase one particular year, but maybe it was a gradual increase over let's say the last decade and a half, I think it was around 2013, 14. There were some pretty impressive media fireballs seen all over the world. Mm -hmm. And they got reported on, you know, but it was like one after the other and people were going, okay. They, they noticed that that was new. So there were a flurry of news reports to reassure people that we were in the February fireball season. Yes. <laughs> Season. And I went to a Wikipedia page and they had just like created a brand new page and people were furiously editing it to make it sound in the past, in the present continuous, like twas yeah. always so. Yeah. And they just made this shit up. Yeah. The make, up make up a new term. Just throw one up uh, just on, on this uh, related, obviously. Uh, no, just X that out in the right there. Uh, this, I had to control myself when I read this, as you might imagine. Um, this is just from last week. And Read it out. We are overcounting COVID deaths and hospitalizations. That's a problem. That's in the Washington Post, no less. That's in the Washington Post by Liana S. Wen, who is this American physician who was, um, you know, she was a public health communicator during COVID pandemic and the 2022 monkeypox outbreak. Uh, she was on CNN all the time. She was just like front and center with the whole shut up and get your vaccine. So, um, but anyway, uh, She's questioning, she's, this headline is kind of galling for me because they're allowed to say this now. And if you want some, a heaping dose of, cyn of, of, of cynical, then this, this 
this idea, this claim of overcounting COVID deaths and hospitalizations was something that I and many other people repeatedly said over and over again all through 2020 and 2021 for two years, literally every freaking week, every day, whatever. With COVID, of COVID, are these actual COVID deaths, actual COVID deaths, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you're told to shut the hell up and what do you, you know, this pandemic and people are dying and shut up and you're an anti-vax conspiracy theorist, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you got banned and shut down and censored for saying, suggesting that the official COVID death statistics were in question because of the significant evidence that they were being overcounted, that people were dying of all sorts of other uh, pre-existing yes pre-existing conditions and that covid was simply like the flu or the or even the cold is that was the thing that was uh pushing these people who are you know had very low life expectancy kind of one foot in the grave pushing them off um this mortal coil and you were and therefore that it couldn't reasonably be, be called a covid death and then it wouldn't shouldn't be added to the statistics and shouldn't be used then to terrorize the people into being locked down in their homes and then also getting uh you know vaccines that they maybe didn't need uh but now, but Joe, you're allowed to say it now. Now you're allowed to say it. And why are you allowed to say it now? Well, they'll say it's because we didn't know then. Huh? We no. The that. reason they're saying it now, and here's the heavy dose of cynicism or cynical, is because it's, it's, it's convenient for them to say it now. Because after the rollout of the vaccines and the boosters, there should be no COVID. Right. But we are, but, but, uh, as the first paragraph kind of says there, according to the CDC and, uh, the United States experienced around 400 COVID deaths every day. How can that be? We just rolled out the vaccine to save the whole planet. It stopped global warming. It, it was, it was, it, it was the best thing ever. Right? So there's no more COVID, right? No. Apparently, according to the CDC, we're getting 400 COVID deaths a day. How can that be happening when everybody's vaccinated? In fact, all those people who died, 400 a day, are all vaccinated. How can that be happening? Shut up. They didn't die of COVID. What are you talking about, you anti-vaxxer? Are you pro-vaxxer? What are you? I don't, it's confusing. I don't know what the, you're an anti-science aggressor. What are you doing? Anyway, shut up. That, those aren't COVID deaths. They died of their diabetes. Yeah, but I said that two years ago. Shut up. It doesn't matter. It was different then. I can say it now. You couldn't say it then. Shut up. Because it's convenient for me now because we yeah. rolled out a vaccine. They shouldn't yeah. be dying. They are dying. No, they're not dying from COVID. Yeah. So Th- this is going the gall, on. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's horrible. When you weren't allowed to say that and now they're shoving it in your face in order to cover up the fact that the vaccines they may don't. not be doing as well as they could have been doing. Hmm. Or yeah, they were claimed to do. There's actually a uh, quantum Ryan commented. This is Leanna. Yes. Quote. I think I may have fucked up my kid when. Oh yeah. Right. There was that story. So even people who. Right. Yeah. She has no Oops. soul. She has no soul. Uh, only other notable on the same topic. I mean, we'll just give a quick passing. Uh, horsey face. My, my horse face in New Zealand decided that she had not. Yes, queen. Yes, Queen in, in, in New Zealand decided that she had enough. She doesn't have any fuel in the tank for another term because she was going to get voted out anyway because New Zealand had enough of her uh, big horsey face. Well, no, that, that's a joke. But yeah, the entire liberal media in the Anglosphere said she was hounded out by anti-science aggressors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course that's <laughs> happened. Yeah, Not the New Zealand people who had had enough of her oh. and had enough of this kind of thing. Just play this. This is from a year ago or something. Um, refuse, you know, I've got a number of questions about people... Um, refuse, you know, what do we do if someone refuses to be tested? Well, they can't now. If someone refuses in our um, facilities to be tested, they have to keep staying. So they won't be able to leave after 14 days. 
they have to stay on for another 14 days. So it's a pretty good incentive. You either get your tests done and make sure you're cleared, or we will keep you in a facility longer. So I think people might say, yeah, I'll take the test. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, the test and we can... People have to do the test, and if they don't get the test, we're going to keep them imprisoned uh, <laughs> indefinitely, <for> l- indefinitely <laughs> until they get the test. Uh, so, yeah. And all of this is because we're going to build back better. Build back better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to finish my dick. Freak. Freaks, no freaks. <sighs> Good news. 11 Oregon counties have voted to secede. They're sick of Portland politics. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Not that it's going to go anywhere. Bless them. But, you know, it's just telling that people want away from these types. Like, just get them out of my... I can't be near them. <clears throat> what about... Uh, what's going on with Biden? Biden's on the way out, no? No, he doubled down. He says, I don't care what they try. I'm I'm running. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, they just found, much. They found more documents in his Wilmington home. In his home this time, not in some lockup where he keeps his Corvette, but in his home. FBI searches Biden's Wilmington home and finds more classified documents, materials. Uh, I don't know who it is. Maybe Carlson reckons they're doing a Watergate on him. Yeah. I don't know why. Is it really necessary? Well, they got to have something to get rid of him, right? They just withhold his meds or something. <laughs> yeah. Carlson was on... Uh, on a roll this week. Did you see the one he did on uh, Nixon? No. I saw a few. Three uh, minutes. Do you want to play it? Yeah. Go on. Uh, I don't have it. Do you have it? Oh. Since Nixon got 17 million more votes than his opponent. Less than two years later, he was gone. He was forced to resign. And in his place, an obedient servant of the federal agencies called Gerald Ford took over the White House. How did that happen? Well, it's a long story, but here are the highlights, and they tell you a lot. Richard Nixon believed that elements in the federal bureaucracy were working to undermine the American system of government and had been doing that for a long time. He often said that. He was absolutely right. On June 23, 1972, Nixon met with the then CIA director, Richard Helms, at the White House. During the conversation, which thankfully was tape recorded, Nixon suggested he knew, quote, who shot John, meaning President John F. Kennedy. Nixon further implied that the CIA was directly involved in Kennedy's assassination, which we now know it was. Helms's telling response, total silence. But for Nixon, it didn't matter because it was already over. Four days before, on June 19th, the Washington Post had published the first of many stories about a break-in at the Watergate office building. Unbeknownst to Nixon and unreported by the Washington Post, four of the five burglars worked for the CIA. Surprise. The first of many dishonest Watergate stories was written by a 29-year-old Metro reporter called Bob Woodward. Who exactly was Bob Woodward? Well, he wasn't a journalist. Bob Woodward had no background whatsoever in the news business. Instead, Bob Woodward came directly from the classified areas of the federal government. Shortly before Watergate, Woodward was a naval officer at the Pentagon. He had a top-secret clearance. He worked regularly with the intel agencies. At times, Woodward was even detailed to the Nixon White House, where he interacted with Richard Nixon's top aides. Soon after leaving the Navy, for reasons that have never been clear, Woodward was hired by the most powerful news outlet in Washington and assigned the biggest story in the country. 
That's and just right. to make it crystal clear what was actually happening, Woodward's main source for his Watergate series was the deputy director of the FBI, Mark Felt. And Mark Felt ran, and we're not making this up, the yeah, FBI's COINTELPRO program, which was designed to secretly discredit political actors the federal agencies wanted to destroy, people like Richard Nixon. And at the same time, those same agencies were also working to take down Nixon's elected vice president, Spiro Agnew. In the fall of 1973, Agnew was indicted for tax evasion and forced to resign. His replacement was a colorless congressman from Grand Rapids called Gerald Ford. What was Ford's qualification for the job? Well, he had served on the Warren Commission, which absolved the CIA of responsibility for President Kennedy's murder. Nixon was strong-armed into accepting Gerald Ford by Democrats in Congress. Quote, we gave Nixon no choice but Ford, Speaker of the House Carl Albert later boasted. Eight months later, Gerald Ford of the Warren Commission was the president of the United States. And that's how you do it. Yeah. That's how you make, that's how democracy works. That's how you elect a new president. That's how the CIA elects a new president. It was, it was a great save. When the deep state, it was a stupendous move. It's only coming out now because it's only even recent years that some good books have looked at it again. I mean, remember it's as recent as 10 years ago that Oliver Stone was still of the mindset that Nixon was a bad, you know, Mm. bad actor. And, you know, we we dodged a bullet there with Nixon, but. Uh, no, not at all. Nixon, yeah, definitely, definitely not a straight player. But that's because he was, he was unlike Trump, really of the political system. He was a political animal, mm-hmm. but he also had an ounce of like America first decency in him. Mm-hmm. That's why he got reelected with seventeen. He he won in a landslide. You know when they show the map of which state goes red, the entire country was red. Mm. He got probably what Trump actually got in twenty twenty. But anyway, uh, he won like. It was crystal clear, and then within two years, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, and then they rewrote the history of him being, you know, an, yeah. an evil critter I'm that all America disliked and stuff like that. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Not only do they, that's how they, the CIA elects a new president. Um, if they don't have to blow blow the previous one's head off to get a new one in, they they do it. They, yeah, it was another that, coup. And, that, and if you think about, it, it's been a series of rolling coups since then. You mm-hmm. know. It's been unnecessary most of the time. You go, but at the end of the seventies, they had to do something again. The October surprise that whacked that, uh, politically whacked um, Carter. Mm-hmm. Carter would have got a, a second term, mm-hmm. but they made sure that the the whole thing with the hostages in Iran and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And Zbigniew so Brzezinski was both his advisor and his helper, and probably the one who helped his downfall because mm-hmm. he was conspiring with the neocons mm-hmm. who were backing Reagan. Yeah, yeah. So that was another one within it's the a, same decade. Yeah, it's the deep state basically keeping... This know, is how they do it, democracy. Consolidating their control and keeping control... Uh, of push, secrets and of... And pushing in a certain direction. Yeah. And keeping control over the White House and, and the reins of power, basically. They hold the reins of power. Anybody gets in the way, you're gone. So it's, yeah, the idea of American democracy is one giant lie, basically. At least in the way that people think it works, mm. it doesn't work that way at all. Yeah, uh, but it's been that way for a long time, and, you know, people are only waking up to it now, but hopefully it's not too late. Uh, but for us, it is too late, because it's been almost two hours, or just about two hours, and I think we have talked about all the news that's fit to, all the bile that's fit to, fit for us to kind of wade through and have to comment on and make fun of. Yeah, unless you've got something extra special left. No? No, I'm good. All right. Maybe it's, yeah, it's coming up soon. The new Japanese PM, East Asia could be the next Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't know who He that. hopes. 
not to watch yeah, yeah it's weird it's, cre- it's creepy like he he's not it's not a warning and I don't want no. this coming to my country it's like bring this to my country yeah so the German the Germans need to get some kind of get get some of that uh, that uh, belligerence the newfound belligerence that the Japs Japanese uh, uh, had, had, had kept on, on a at a low ebb for the past uh, 80 years as well you know Japanese very uh, pacifist uh, you know Second World War, very bad, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, we got bombed, not good, let's all be peaceful and stuff. But now it's like, you know, they're, 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 yeah, but they're being encouraged they're to buy I know, America. I know. Because they want to throw them at China. Right. Uh, Germany yeah. is at least holding back from that. But Germany should, should refine its belligerence, but in the, in the opposite, opposite direction. direction. Towards Britain. Toward, Sorry. Or towards the Americans, yeah. Towards both. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. We'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, chatting, and commenting. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with another uh, show on all that's been happening since then so until then have a great week and stay safe and watch out for Al Gore um, don't go near him <laughs> he's dangerous uh, yeah so see you later bye uh, can't stop the signal now mm-hmm.